You're listening to Paz de Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 27. Welcome to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, this is Mexican food, a digital magazine dedicated to exploring the markets, streets, recipes and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook and author. To find more information about the show, please go to pasdechipotle.com. You can stream and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Play and YouTube. Hello, everybody. It's so good to be back with an all-star lineup of guests from all over the world that I will be interviewing in the months ahead. If this is the first time you tune in to the show, I have good news for you, because there are 26 more episodes you can listen on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. There has been a lot going on for me in the past months, and I'm especially thrilled to be sharing with you the making of my upcoming book, Amazing Mexican Market Food. You can read the blog posts and share your thoughts and questions. Maybe you want to know something in particular about what it takes to write a book, how to get started with food styling, recipe testing. I mean, there are so many stages processes and skills you have to develop when writing a book and I'm really happy to open up and make you part of this process. So head to my website pasichipotle.com and click on the tab Upcoming Book to read more. I am very happy to kickstart the new series of interviews with a growing list of talented people from all over the world. The first of these interviews is with gastronome and specialist food tour guide in Mexico City, Anaís Martínez. Anaís has a degree in gastronomy from one of the most prestigious culinary schools in Mexico, the University of El Claustro de Sor Juana, which, incidentally, is where the famous intellectual poet, satirist, cook and nun Sor Juana de Asbaje lived in the colonial period. If you haven't listened to the episode where I talk about Sor Juana, I will set a link in this blog post episode so you can go back and listen to it. Anais is a young entrepreneur, but she hasn't wasted any opportunity to learn, gain experience, travel and pour her talent and passion for Mexican food through her work as a food tour guide, curating experiences for adventurous foodies from all over the world that come to Mexico City. After graduating, Anais went to study design in Italy, where she developed her unique style of photography and food styling. But more than that, this prepared her for a whole new way to understand how experiencing the food of different countries opens the chance to create cross-cultural bonds, dialogues and understanding. Anais has worked as restaurant manager, food consultant, menu developer and even run her own private chefing and food delivery service. She has a particular soft spot for food journalism and over the years she has collaborated with news outlets, blogs and magazines by the likes of ETA, NPR, BBC, Mexican TV stations, Plate Magazine, Culture Trip and Tasting Table to mention some. In recent years, she has focused her work on collaborating with international travel agencies, offering her services as a food tour guide. And also, she promotes her own tailor-made food experiences called The Curious Mexican, which she runs in her native Mexico City. This was a truly dynamic and enjoyable conversation I had with Anais. I really think her passion and professionalism comes through in all the things she does and the way that she presents herself and her work, and I really think you will get to feel that too. I hope you enjoy this episode. Anais, welcome to the show. It's brilliant to have you here. 
Oh, thank you, Rosita. Thank you for having me over. It's really exciting to be in your show. We've been looking forward to this conversation, people. You have no idea because Anais is super busy, but I'm really thrilled that we're finally recording this because it's really a treat to have uh, Anais on the show because I mean, we have so many things in common, not only, of course, that we are Mexican, but the fact that our work requires us to sort of distance ourselves from our own, say, Mexicanity, to observe how people perceive our country and our food. That gives us the opportunity to be more perceptive to other people's needs and wishes to have more meaningful experiences when they travel. So when talking to you ahead of this interview, Anais, I was really inspired by the way you are so passionate about your work and so perceptive to really make people feel safe and open to explore authentic foods of the city of Mexico, which is one of the most overwhelmingly complex and grand cities in the world. So I would like you to share with the audience What motivated you to take upon this particular job, which is way, way harder than what it seems and very complex and is not just about eating food all day. So how you got started and how has your own style changed over the years? Well, it's weird that you say that uh, it's not only about eating, because at the beginning it was mostly about that for me. It was, what? I can get paid to go out and eat with people and just hang out and just take them to places? So yeah, the beginning was mainly about having fun with a job, but then it's like, I think it slowly changed into a more serious thing since I already had all the information in about food and gastronomy. I think I really started enjoying telling people more about what Mexican food actually is and not just about here, have a taco. Yeah. So yeah, it's been changing a lot slowly. Like I started giving out more information about first the food and then slowly like the neighborhood and then the vendors. So I think in that way it's changed a lot. Like I, at the beginning it was mainly fun and eating and now it's really informative. Even though I always try to make it uh, seem like it, I'm not giving you information, I just like slip it in and make it seem like it's, we're just having out, having like a good evening out which is like a stroll through a neighborhood. But yeah, I think that's the mainly thing that's changed over the years. I guess you are very, you know, an, an outspoken person. I can understand how it sort of presented itself like an opportunity to do what you love most doing, which is spending time with nice people, no? And, uh, and then slowly sort of letting that, you know, as a food ambassador to grow in you, no, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like that, kind of like... um getting more serious about it, but without making it sound boring, <laughs> which is very hard to achieve. That is, I think, the hard part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cannot agree more with you because I guess, you know, it is true that Mexico and Mexicans, we are famous for being warm and hospitable people. And I think that not only that is true, but it's a very nice particular trait to have because I really believe we are genuinely, authentically warm and welcoming. Uh, but also, uh, you know, now that the tourism industry is changing, looking for experiences that really make people live and do things that add quality to their lives. Only last year, there was a net growth of 21.3 US dollar billions just for tourism, uh, which gave us roughly 39.3 million visitors that came to Mexico. So of course, it's a big and important sector of our economy. We have three big segments of tourism in Mexico, speaking broadly. The first, I would say, you know, is like the typical spring breakers that just want to enjoy the beach and have fun and party all day. And they buy all-inclusive packages. Namely, they go to Cancun or any other place in the Mayan Riviera. But then there's another second type of tourism, which is, you know, smaller probably, is primarily European. And they come specifically looking for maybe more culture center activities, maybe also escaping mass tourism. And usually they follow this route of Mexico City, then Puebla, then Oaxaca, Chiapas, uh, Tulum, you know, roughly. And then the third group is one very particular of second or even third generation Mexican-Americans who often speak very little or no Spanish, but they are really trying and craving to to reconnect with the land and culture of, of their family. So 
well, you know, this broad segmentation of uh, the Mexican tourist market, um, it's sort of representative. But in your own experience, how have you perceived the changes and the interests and the needs of your customers? How would you define your own particular audience? What could you tell us about that? I think right now, mainly people who come with me are people who are, of course, interested in food. I think it's helped a lot with the being a foodie thing in the world. It doesn't matter if you're, mm-hmm. I don't know, like 21 or 57. Going into the food culture, I think it's it's a thing worldwide. But then after that, I think it has changed. I think those tourists that you were mentioning, that they go to the beach just to go into like a crazy tequila frenzy. They, we have a version of that for uh, Mexico City, and I think they only go to pub crawls or things like that. Well, there are lots of people who are doing that, um, either pub crawls or just like taco eating with no depth. And I mean, there's mm-hmm. like an audience for everyone, but I think that's our version of it. But we also have people who are really interested in the culture. I mean, they want to go to a tour maybe, but they don't want to do the old boring thing. They want to learn about history, but through something else. And I think foods is, is very dynamic and delicious to eat and everything. They choose that to learn about culture, maybe through food. And I think also in general, all of these shows, I mean, you know, on Netflix, we have Chef's Table and we have Ugly Delicious mm-hmm. and every, everyone talks about Mexico City as well. So people want to learn about these things. They want to try what they see in these things and the Pellegrino list and they want to come over and try Puyol. So I think... Um, it's changed and that helps a lot. Like the interest, the general interest in food helps a lot to my business in, in specific. Oh, that's super interesting because, you know, this is such a recent phenomenon. I feel like we're documenting real time because probably, I don't know, I don't even have to go that back. Maybe three years ago, four years ago, we didn't have this thing of people coming from whatever, the other side of the world, to come and ask for a specific restaurant or, or the food of a specific chef because they have seen it on the television. And that is so telling about the way, finally, in one hand, we Mexicans are really putting our heritage, our culinary heritage out there and being proud of it and promoting it. And at the same time, Netflix and other food and travel producing companies, they're actively promoting also Mexico, whether they have just a specific intention to help us because they like us so much or not, because that's what's selling. Who cares? I mean, we're seeing the result now and we're cashing it in. So that's super interesting. Well, most people come to Puyol. Well, when they come to see, they go to Puyol because that's what they mm-hmm. saw at Chef's Table. So, of course, it's so hard to get into that restaurant and you have to book in advance, like at least if you're lucky, three weeks ahead. But then they know that that is not the real thing. I mean, even though they, that's the only thing that you get outside of Mexico, like, yeah, type in Mexico and then you get that. People know that that is not a real thing. So they, they complement it with an experience like my, my experience or like going to a market on their own. So yeah, like I think every single time everyone talks about Puyol and everyone talks about Eduardo Garcia, who's the, those two, mm-hmm. the guy from Maximo Bistro. Those two are in every single show that talks about Mexico City's food scene. So I think I would say like a hundred percent of people who come with me, they know about at least those two places. Oh wow, that is that's very impressive. That is very telling about how how the appreciation of Mexican food is changing. And I love what you said just now, that you are actively promoting the two realities of the food scene in Mexico. What everyday people eat, which is pretty much representative of our centuries old traditions and then all the great and amazing and inspiring creations of contemporary chefs. But the the way you frame it, I think is brilliant. Good job. (laughs) It's also about telling them where all those fancy ingredients come from, the fancy combinations, you know? It's like, okay, this is really delicious in, um, in the fancy restaurants, but do you know that there's a dish here that comes from this state? This was the inspiration for that. I think that's the most important thing. They didn't come up with all these combinations, nor, of course they do, but not the, the, the majority of things, they come from something else that we already had. And, but yeah, for people to know, like, oh yeah, this is an aguachile. Yeah. This is why this is so delicious. And this is what they use in Oaxaca. You know, I think that's where all the inspiration came from with the big chefs and they know it as well. Yeah, that is so true. And I guess to be fair to everybody, I think both Olvera 
and Eduardo have particularly been careful in saying that they are effectively standing on the shoulders of traditional cooks. So uh, moving on a little bit from from this, I want to well go back, you know, like to all that I made reference in your intro that you have such a uh, very interesting background with so many experiences that haven't reached your own uh, you know personal career and you personally something that most people uh, outside Mexico don't know uh, is that we broadly, I mean, but it's you and me and people around our age. Uh, come from a generation that here in Mexico really had done hard work challenging the cultural expectations about what careers and professional lives should be. Uh, because our parents and the generations before them, they were pretty much expected to study one thing, choose what to do for the rest of their lives when they were 18 years old. You finish university and then take one job keep at it until retirement and, and that was it. So I guess partly because of the constraints of social and professional mobility in Mexico that there wasn't really much mobility, like your skills wouldn't be appreciated in another sector. It, it had more to do with the perceptions. So moving up the professional ladder or change careers was incredibly difficult, not only for our parents, but in many ways for ourselves or at least for me, they're probably slightly older. And he carried a lot of this stigma around it, like, oh, you're you're failing at this, that's what you're jumping. Where, you know, it's nothing like that in other countries. So I think we are setting a very good example of how pushing the conceptual boundaries and the professional boundaries to really try and find the best way for you to explore your interests and talents. So how do you think that your own diverse multidisciplinary trajectory uh, makes you excel and be amazing at what you do? And, and how do you translate that into your own work? Well, it is funny that you say that um, you feel a little bit guilty about or like failing at something because uh, after my gastronomy degree, I, I well, always had an, an interest in art and design. So I, when I went to Italy to study graphic design, actually at the beginning, I felt like I was failing at my gastronomy. I felt really guilty and well, my family didn't help at all. They were like, okay, so five years gone to waste, but go ahead and do what you now love. But then I actually, I, I changed it a little bit. Like you were saying, like our generation, you can allow yourself to do other things that people didn't do before. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm not failing at that. Maybe I'm just enhancing the whole thing. So everything that I did with graphic design was food oriented. And I think ever since I've been doing everything that I do food oriented, even if it's, if it's about art or writing or uh, even music, everything's about food. So I think that only complements the whole experience. So when I'm on tour and then if I have let's say an architect, like I can give them a different reference, something that they're more um, familiar with. You know, it's not just about, I'm going to talk to you in a very like gastronomic language. And it's more about talking from different angles. And that I think helps me a lot. That along with the traveling, I think our generation, we're very lucky because we're not only able to travel, but we're also very encouraged and everyone travels and all the tickets and the shows as well you're encouraged and then you're you open your mind to all of these cultures and also when it comes to food when i when i come back from a from a trip i'm like okay so what we call panela in other countries they can call paneer or halloumi and then when i have customers from that those countries i'm like this is very similar to what you have and that helps a lot like to broaden the experience and to make it more familiar to make mexican food more like easily understandable to people who come that links, you know, directly to, to the next thing that I want to say, because it is true that opening to the world, not only opening, but embracing, you know, the like you say, the language and what's familiar to other cultures, it really makes us citizens of the world. Find the things that are common to us, not the things that divide us. And I think probably for a very conservative society and, you know, tradition-centered society like Mexico, our generation is targeting that and making us more accepting and more flexible because while we are very welcoming, I think uh, we have been learning as a culture to also see value 
uh, in other people's traditions, as opposed to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> the only the only way is the Mexican way. Where now we are like, oh, you know, we share all these commonalities, and that makes us richer, all of us. Right. Yeah, and more familiar. Let's say when I try to explain mole, I can just say to someone from India, like curry. You know, there's no special definition. There's no like this is the one definition of curry, as in this is not the one definition of mole. And then people understand things faster. You can speak into the language. <laughs> it's a great example because I use it all the time as well. And you know, it's something that I have constantly worked on is just exactly what you are saying. It's the importance of sort of reframing and constantly curating very specific aspects of the Mexican culture and the gastronomy into more bite-sized portions that people can sort of incorporate a bit more easily as opposed to bang, here are, you know, 500 years of uh, gastronomic tradition. So, like in my case, through through my books and the magazine Sabor and the dining experiences that I offer in supper clubs and all that, while they are truthful to the culture they represent, that is Mexican culture, our culture, like I said, it's not this overwhelming experience that ends up sort of discouraging people without promoting a dialogue. Like you say, you know, I could go on and on, but what's the point? We we want to have a dialogue, not a monologue. So for you, that your primary tool for work is life itself, is a street, is the people that come and go all the time, the, the people who don't stop serving you and the other 20 customers they have in line. So when you are out in the street and, and you just can't edit out the noise or the garbage or anything that happens, you know, the loud music and people pushing you and whatever, you know, uh, how do you help people understand in this, you know, non-stop environment, this part of life is not as chaotic as it seems. I mean, there is sense behind it, social relationships behind it. There is a rhythm about it. So how you sort of normalize this so it doesn't distract your tour, but actually builds up on what you are telling them about and what the way you are building the experience. Well, I actually, I have changed this a lot throughout the years because at the beginning it was really hard for me. Just, I had a plan. Okay, these are the five stops that I'm, that I'm going to go to. One of the vendors decided not to show up that day. So at the beginning it was like, oh my God, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I really don't know how to say this, but this person is not here. Nowadays, I think, like you were saying, you make it a part of the whole experience. So I try to be really honest from the beginning. It's like, okay, this is the plan. But as everything in Mexican culture, that might <laughs> might not be the ending result, which I think is very honest. I think Mexicans in general, we have a very organized chaos type of culture. I mean, it works, whether it's traffic or politics or whatnot, even in the market life, it works. But now I try to, this is our way of living. So this is the plan. If, if it doesn't happen, do not worry. I do have another plan because I am a Mexican <laughs> as well. But, and I think it, 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 it enhances the, the whole experience. It's like, like I told you, the vendor is not here, but check, check this out. We're going to go to this place. And then you make them a part of your scout, even though you've done it before and you, you have the plan ahead. But it, it just lets them into one day in a regular Mexican life, you know? <laughs> that is great because, you know, one thing is to just navigate as graciously as you can through that chaos. And another thing is to actually make people aware of it. Like, see, feel, this is our normal, and this is how we navigate it. Yeah, it's like we have a very different concept of what personal space is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that takes me to think about this. Since you are pretty much incorporating life itself and the food and the history and all the things that are framing the, the food and the things that are constantly changing around it. How do you think that your tours actually make people's lives better? Like when you are debriefing people at the end, we've been through here, 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 and that, and you experience this, this, and that, and now you have changed, like sort of make them away, this, this, and that. Like, which are your, say, three main goals for you to make people's lives fuller and, and you know, richer? apart from having their tummies full of nice food. 
Well, I think the main thing for me, and this is the same thing since I started, it's for them to understand the difference, the really big difference between Tex-Mex and Mexican food. Because <laughs> uh-huh. you know that Tex-Mex is everywhere and people usually confuse it for Mexican and they come here thinking they're going to find the taco shells and the sour cream and you know that it's not like that. So for me, it's just like that is the main objective. And also, well, right after that, when they realize that, I want them to know that it is so regional, our cuisine, that is not mm-hmm. just like Mexican food is this. No, I mean, we have so many regionalities, so many different ingredients everywhere and then techniques and words that we use for things. We have so many different indigenous groups here that it translates into food and now you're going to get a very different taco in Oaxaca or in Baja, right? I think that for me is just, mm-hmm. you make them understand how big the country is as well. It's quite big. <laughs> and other thing is, like, I think like the thing that I was telling you before, since almost everyone comes with me right after or before going to the fancy restaurants, uh, I also want them to know where everything comes from. That, I think, is a really important thing now. Now that everyone does both things. It's like, okay, you're going there. You're going to see this mole. This is the, the the normal, let's say, like, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. You're going to try an enhanced version. How that is different from what regular people do, this is it. So I think those, if, if people, after being with me, understand those three things, I think, like, I can call it a day. <sighs> Your job is done. Um, you said something about the fancy restaurants. Well, Mexico City being the capital of the country, it offers so much to different publics. Now, there are some areas that are being very hip and very popular. They have been rapidly gentrified and then they've been flooded by the hipster kind, creating a very new and sort of refreshing identity for these areas, like uh, Colonia Roma, Colonia Condesa, Polanco which in all fairness, they are really working hard and doing their part in revitalizing these otherwise run-down areas that were really falling apart. Travelers are now increasingly looking for deeper experiences and connections with the places that they visit. Like you said, you know, they, they don't only want to have the food itself now. People have higher expectations about interacting with the place and blending like a local. And that, that sort of becomes like a big part of, of traveling. So I think you are making a fantastic compromise between these two scenarios, the popular working class food that we all love and, and consume, and also the more exclusive areas that you can also use to provide visitors another type of experiences, which is also everyday life for another sector of our society. Uh, without actually reinforcing the stereotypical portrayal of, oh, Mexico is just chaos, but it will be wrong to just reduce that as a tourism gimmick. How do you perceive this aspect, the type of services that have been recently developed in these well-to-do areas that are also forming their own community of entrepreneurs and new business owners? What do you make of this change? How do you observe it and then what's was the response from your clients when they experienced these two sides? Well I I do find them interesting as well. So I think uh with with my customers and I also want them to know what we find interest. Okay, this is the market and we've done this for a whole a long a long time and for me it's not surprising but I know that for you it is. But I do, I also want you to know what's interesting for us right now. Let's say Juarez neighborhood, for example, since the earthquake, it's been like up and coming and there's so many openings and it is so um, interesting and vibrant and many different options. And I mean, with the customers, I want them to know, like you were saying, I want them to know what locals do, such as myself. Maybe I'm not like, um, um, well, maybe they're not just into the markets, the, 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 the customers, and they want to do the broad experience. So, okay, let's start with the market because this is a basic. But let's go to a fancy area. Let's go to a hipster coffee. Let's hope, let's go to, um, I don't know, like a, just like an old taco place. So you get the broad experience. And I think this is, my customers are open to this because of things like you were saying, like Airbnb and like Anthony Ordain telling everyone, like, hang out with a local. And so the experiences has to be, they have to be curated for both interested, 
world interest. Like you were saying, where we went outside, we've seen Mexican culture from a different perspective. But at the same time, you do want to put a little bit of yourself in there. Let them know what you're interested in. Mexico is the old and the new in architecture and culture and food and everything. So I think that, that that is experience I think that people want as well. People want to feel like they're hanging out with friends and they're just not with someone who's getting paid to say the same things every day. And that's why Airbnb is so popular. They never tell you this is a script. It's more about where would you go or what would you like to experience if you were in a different country. No, and I think it's very important that you underline that fact, the way you particularly nourish your own sensibility to create an actual personal bond with people. You can't fake a real interest in our jobs, in our line of work. You know, you really feel that personal connection, even if you never see them again, no? Exactly. I think that's the most important part, that you also build a relationship with them. That's what makes it feel like you're with a friend, right? I think I do agree with you. They they do become our friends for at least the time that they spend with us. In the end, if, if our generation, like, you know, going back to the beginning, is really pushing the boundaries to do what we want, we're doing this, yes, you know, we earn a living from this. It's also nourishing us. And they can notice that when you feel happy what what you're doing, they notice that. And then they, they have a good time as well. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with my partner about this and he was saying, it's not about regurgitating information, which is what what is changing now in the paradigm is making this personal connection. Something your clients and probably my clients don't ever get to see what happens behind it and all the things that have to be taken into account when you are creating these experiences for them, having them in mind all the time. It just doesn't just happen. Like As a food entrepreneur yourself, I think it will be very enriching, not only for the audience, but for your present and future customers to know the craft and care and passion and patience that goes behind the making of your products that provide you with a challenging way to use your creativity. What can you share about this creative process? How do you design it? Which are the objectives like behind choosing every eatery or every stop? How do you test it and how you tweak it as you deliver it? Well, it is not always fun. Because, <laughs> you know, people think that, like you were saying, oh, let's just go here and here. I mean, there was a lot of trial and error in the way that I had to try so many things before having or hitting a good one so that means sometimes that you get bad customer service let's say or unclean things or sometimes you get stomach and flus so there was a lot of trial and error and i think also once you actually find the good places you have to well at least i i tweak it a lot depending on what the customer is telling me okay so i'm interested in mezcal and i'm interested in craft beer or i do not eat cheese at all i hate it Let's say a couple, one of, them, one of them eats a lot of meat and the other one is vegetarian. So you have to base it. Well, at least I base it in, a, in what people actually want. And if they have a reference or, or, or they think they want to try something, like I, will, I read about tacoyos and I really want to try them. So then of all the places that I know that are, they're okay to eat, to eat, there's a lot of trial and error involved, those are the good ones, the, the good options that I have. And then you just curate it to make it interesting for them and as diverse as possible. And also things that you can split into smaller pieces so you don't you, you don't always end up feeling uncomfortable full because that's something that I don't want either. There's a lot of things to take into account, all of that. You have to have a balance. Okay, this is sweet. This is a drink. This is a really fun place. This is a fancy place. I feel like it's like a museum, the, the curation, the, the curating of a, like an exhibit. I love that comparison. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't help it. I love that comparison of, of curating the edible museum of life. <laughs> it is a curated experience, yes. Also about the food restrictions, because you know not everyone eats everything. That also, that, that's always taken into account. Well, it's hard to make compromises sometimes. You know, at the best of times, you can deal with vegetarian or overlapped vegetarian, you know, making some concessions. Authentic traditional food it is what it is. And then you sort of either put up with it or you're going to have to struggle a little bit. As a traveler, I mean, if you are not willing also to compromise. So speaking of travelers, 
you sort of have to balance their expectations. Which are the most common misconceptions then that you hear from international visitors or that you wish they knew before they came and or that you specifically want to change after they finish? Well, I think the main one, like, like, uh, like I, I think I kind of told you before about the Tex-Mex thing. I think everyone comes here thinking that we all, everyone throughout, everyone throughout Mexico, we all eat burritos and there's nothing else but taco shells and sour cream. <laughs> so I think is that is the main misconception. Also, our, like people are always scared about spicy food. That is the one thing that they tell me. It's like, oh, I don't eat spicy food. Please, we have to go to places where they don't sell spicy food. I always have to tell them, let them know, okay, all food is will be spicy if you add the salsa, you know? I am one of the worst Mexicans ever, and I always describe myself as that. I don't eat a lot of chili, so you can always decide how much you want to put in your own taco or your portion of food. So that is a really big misconception. Maybe we do eat chili with everything. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be hot. That just means that we use the chilies because of their flavors. I think that's also what people think, that all of our chilies are just hot. And we use them, you know, like there's some pruny chilies and we use some just for color and some just like an accent at the end of the dish. So I think those are the biggest misconceptions. Everything's hot and Tex-Mex, taco shells for everyone. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You said, so, so basically, you know, what you're saying is that bear in mind that Mexicans have for centuries preferred their food on the, on the heavy side of spices and the use of chilies, because it's one of our staple ingredients from pre-Columbian times. Exactly, or like all the, you know, like the really strange, weird tortilla kind of wraps they're supposed to be. <laughs> That's something that I always get as well. When people try a tortilla in the place where they use real masa from Nixtamal, they try it and they, they're so surprised. This is a corn tortilla? And once they, they try the real one, they're like, oh, yeah. This is it. Now I get it. Now I get what you eat everything in a corn tortilla. <laughs> exactly. Well, changing now to a slightly different topic. We're recording this the very last days of August. So in roughly 20 days, on September 20 specifically, will mark one year since the 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit many areas of the country, including my home state and city of Puebla, and also Oaxaca and the Mixteca region. And of course, uh, the world saw the heartbreaking images of many apartment buildings in Mexico City collapsing and trapping people, sadly also killing, well, according to official records, uh, about 228 but we also saw how the international community and the national community joined efforts to fund and also to volunteer in the rescue brigades and efforts to reconstruct and uh, not only the city but you know the social tissue to put it back together. So while we understand it's a tragedy, we also say it reminded us of how resilient and how uh, solidary we are in in the country and, and we put our differences aside and we really jump in to, to help each other. Through all these years that you've been working with street food vendors in these hyper-local communities, all the service providers, business owners, taqueros, restaurateurs and so on, what did you see that it was their response when, when it came to this crisis? What was the aftermath of the earthquake? Um, well, the first day it was, it was a brotherhood. Everyone was family. We were all family. So even the restaurants and the vendors from the streets who have almost nothing, and they just gave everything they had. Like all, lots of restaurants, they knew after the earthquake that they were not going to be able to sell anything else. So of course, the, the next best thing was to give it away to all the people who were helping to, with all the buildings that you were saying. The fire um, department and the police, they were going to be there the whole day. So everyone just gave away food. You would walk to the streets and you would see food from regular restaurants, from quesadilla stand, just being given away to people who would need it. And that was like the first thing. And right after that, well, you know, like street vendors, they had to stop working for a while because they there was no one in the street. Like the whole city went into like a pause for like the first two, three days. But then after that, they just changed locations and they, because they have to work at the end of the day, they, if they don't make, they don't work one day, they don't, they get the money for that day. So it just came back really fast. The other restaurants, the restaurants mostly located in the Roma Condesa area, which is 
both one of the hippest and one of the most damaged areas during the earthquakes, they got together first as a network just to help who, whoever was in need, people who were with no homes and people who were helping. And after that, they came up with this like programs. One of them was called Akisigo. It means I'm still here. It's because a lot of people didn't want to go back to those areas to have like the regular life to go out and dine because they were scared. They, they thought that it was either unfair or like irrespectful to go back to those areas where lots of people lost their homes and lives. So it was like, okay, no, I'm still here. I'm still alive and you should help us out. We live up the customer, so you should come back. So it was a nice brotherhood. Instead of competing, it was okay. Let's just team up and let people know that it's okay for them to come back. The police, I mean, they were way over their heads. Like, you know, like they couldn't do anything fast enough. The kitchen industry, the cooking industry and the service and regular people just cooking whatever they could. Yeah, it was a reminder of how the whole city, when it comes to the really big disasters, we are a big family. And this is the, they, that was the first time that I actually felt like that. But yeah, we were all family. So that sort of takes me to train a little bit what's life for these people who cook these delicious food in the streets that we enjoy. And But the reality is that they struggle, and they struggle a lot. The impact of having people like you bringing regularly customers in a way they sort of relying on you and many others to be part of their network of clients. What has been the actual feedback about the impact that your work has had and the potential of their own businesses. Like you were saying, it is really hard for them because if they don't work that day, they don't bring money back. Well, when when I came back to visit them again and just, yes, it was about the money, but it was also about them going back into this normal lives they had. Since everything became a mess, small things like me showing up with a tour were a sign of, okay, life is back to normal. So it was both economical, but also like anemic for, for all of us to be back into the same kind of lifestyle. Some of them weren't even there. And then when they finally came back, um, they were just happy. It was really hard. And even for the restaurants as well, because it never went back to normal. People were scared of coming to Mexico because they thought that it was not respectful either. Another aspect then, you have pretty much created your own business ecosystem. And also you are part of other bigger business ecosystems. Harvesting from your experience and from your work, what would you think that there are the five things that any food tourism entrepreneur like yourself should do in order to succeed when they start their own business like yours? So... I think the most important thing and that you have to think of and what everything has to be based on has to be going to the basics. We don't realize, well, I mean, we take for granted what that, um, that what we know is what everyone knows, right? Okay. Tortillas are so basic for me, but not everyone knows what a tortilla is supposed to be like. So going to the basics, I think is the most important thing. Okay. What are the main ingredients in Mexican or in your cuisine? whatever you are and want to come up with this thing or, you know, like all the different traditions that we have surrounding food, go to the basic, as basic as you can. Just know that no one knows anything about your food. And based on that, you can just start building. And also you have to read your customers because not everyone seems to the same things. They don't always know what they want to. You have to read them. Maybe they just want to eat and they don't want a lot of information. Maybe then they want the information and they, you just give them small samples. Well, also when you're coming up with your own tour, you have to try everything. Okay. Maybe this is way too big and way too greasy. Okay. So the next stop has to be something smaller and something fresh. So try everything first. It's also, I think some, something that translates into the whole experience, building the relationship with your vendors, respect them and know about their history. Why do they do what they do? At the end of the day, that translates into the, the whole experience. They're not just people who serve food. They're also people. And I think also really important is to make it fun and relaxed. Because if you're not having fun, they can tell. Enjoy the whole experience. Say everything like it was the first time that you said it because it's not fair for the customer. It's also fun for you. If you, if you make it special for yourself, then it's going to be special for the one in front of you. 
I love all the emphasis in being authentic and show really the passion you have, but also the tact and the rapport to, like you say, read them, make them feel safe, make them feel comfortable, challenge them while respecting them, and, and also making the personal connection with the story of the people behind the food they're eating because that's what we are consuming and that's what we are presenting them. We are presenting them the result of hundreds of years of history, the hard work of entire generations. So it's not Tlacoyo or it's not just Tlacoyo or it's not just Barbacoa. What they're really consuming is the love and care of many, many people behind it. And I really like that, that you uh, emphasize that. Thank you. Thank you. That, I think that's really valuable and uh, I think it applies to everything. If we make that connection with each and every one of our, of our clients for the people we meet. And like I said at the top of the episode, you are really covering all the bases when it comes to food entrepreneurship. Not only partnering up with large tourism companies, but also running your own personalized tours and offering your consulting services to restaurants. But you also happen to own your own business. So tell us everything about your pizzeria. Well, well, everyone loves pizza. Yeah, I do love tacos and I eat tacos almost every day of my life. But pizza, please. Yeah, it does have to do a little bit with the fact that I was in Italy. Believe it or not, that was not the main factor. And one of my classmates from university, she opened a pizza place and we were always really good friends. She's had that for five years and there's a spot right next to a craft beer place that I used to go to. I always thought, you know what, if you open a second location of your pizza place next to that craft beer place, it's going to be a success. And more than that, if it, the space opens, I'll be your partner. And here I am. Because she also lived in Italy at some point. If everything is like a, like the style is like stone brick oven pizza. And so the only thing, the only change that I asked for when coming up with the menu was the margarita. Because she, she has like a margarita with black pepper and I think dried basil in her own, the first location. So my only request, and this is because of me living in Italy, was the margarita has to be like a margarita. <laughs> yeah, like that is the one thing that I'm going to change. You have to have the mozzarella. You have to have the basil. And there's a special place in the Central de Abasto where you can get the, the same basil that you can get in Italy. So that was it. I also live right across the street from my pizza place, which is the most dangerous thing ever. <laughs> I can just pop in whenever I want to. <laughs> So it's called Quiero Pizza, which means I want pizza because everyone wants pizza. Instagram is Quiero Pizza MX because apparently someone else wants pizza somewhere else in the world. And that's it. The Facebook is the same thing. Quiero Pizza MX. It's in Arbarte neighborhood, which is also like an up and coming area. And it's a very neighborhoody neighborhood. It's just people who are around here who come to work around here or to, they live around here. They want to go to those kinds of places. Oh, fantastic. Yummy, you are making me hungry and we are recording this 6.30 in the evening and I'm craving pizza. But uh, I will put all these social media links on this episode's description and on this episode's blog post. And speaking of final credits and links, I guess we could be uh, talking for hours, preferably over a slice of pizza. But last but not least, and to close this interview, and I, I really want to thank you for your time, how generously you've shared your experience, trajectory, your personal insight. I, I really have enjoyed this conversation. Please, and I think, you know, well, the whole purpose of this interview and all the interviews I uh, present in the show is to really broadcast and, and show you the work of really talented and, and hardworking people like yourself who are really adding up to change and challenge their understandings and, and the ways we come to love Mexican food in a whole different way. So I want you to pitch yourself and tell why should they book a tour with you? Then of course give us all the, the channels and ways they can contact you via you know, Instagram, Facebook, email, so they can contact you directly and tailor their next experience in Mexico City. Well, yeah, I can't believe the, the interview is almost over. Thank you for having me over. 
So if you want to come to Mexico City and experience the food seen through the life of someone who really, really loves food and tacos, that is what I, I have to offer to you. I mean, there's so many lists of places that you have to go to and they're really helpful. But I think at the end of the day, so many tourists are having the exact same version of Mexico City. So this is the other part. This is what we locals do. That's what I have to offer. What's new, what's the curated version that's going to be appropriate for you. The Curious Mexican on Instagram, The Curious Mexican on Facebook, and my email is anais, A-N-A-I-S, at thecuriousmexican.com. And the website is The Curious Mexican again. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Anais. Thank you. I really, really like what you do, that you're trying to let people know about how the complicated things and nuances of Mexican food history, which I know, I mean, you, I am the one who understands you. It's so hard and so hard to make it. Like you were saying, into small bites. But I really appreciate your job and I really admire what you do. Thank you. The great thing about my job is I get to talk with amazing people like you and my past and future guests from whom I learn so much. I harvest a lot of your experiences and put it back into my work. It also feeds my creativity. So it's been a, an amazing conversation. I want to thank you uh, for, for being here and I wish you all the best and uh, I hope we keep crossing our paths again. I'm sure we will. I am definitely sure. Okay. Bye-bye then. Bye. Thank you for everything. We will return with the show after this short break. Sabor, This is Mexican Food is a digital editorial project that celebrates the wonderful world of Mexican gastronomy, the flavors, ingredients, and traditions that have shaped this world-acclaimed cuisine. And now you can purchase and download a bundle containing all four available issues, the origins, cocoa, street food, and Mexican fiestas. Enjoy 23 thought-provoking articles and stunning photography that opens a window to understand and appreciate Mexico's rich culinary traditions and unveil the secrets to prepare 43 delicious recipes that bring families together and will help you enjoy the making of your own traditions. Go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get your bundle of sabor. Enjoy it in all your digital devices. Go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. To find more information about this project, please go to pazdechipotle.com. On this episode's description and blog post, you will find all the links mentioned on the show, including the link to subscribe to my newsletter and get special discounts, exclusive news, and the latest reviews of my curated list of books for cooks. And of course, you will find the links to reach the ever-so-curious and even more Mexican Anaís Martínez. In a few days, I will rebroadcast the special about Mexican Independence Day, which is a rapidly approaching celebration. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time. <laughs>